take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Luke chapter 2, please. Luke chapter 2. Again, we're going to end our series now. Born to Die has been the name of the series, and this will be the last of that series. 
Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 7. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Again, in this passage, we have the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, we understand, and as believers, if indeed you know Christ is your Savior, you're cognitive of the fact that Jesus Christ is King. But he didn't come as a king. He came as a babe. And in a manger, we find him. You would have thought coming as a king that he would have had the best of all things, the delicacies of, that the world had to offer, and yet we see that he had anything but that. Jesus Christ would grow into a man, and as a man he would live a sinless, perfect life. As a child he lived a sinless, perfect life. He never sinned, the Bible tells us, and yet there was a cross that awaited him. The truth is, as we recognized and realized early on, even in the passage that Jesus Christ came to die. The very moment he was born, he was on a crash course with death. The cross loomed in his future. Every day, every single hour of every day, he knew already that the cross was his fate. We find in the book of Mark, speaking to his disciples, he says, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Jesus already knew. His fate was sealed. He was born to die. Under these conditions, most of us would be paralyzed with fear, consumed with grief and overwhelmed with despair. But Jesus Christ lived a life, although the cross loomed in his future, he lived victoriously. How in the world did he do that? How could he face life every day knowing that a cross is exactly all he had to look forward to? Well, our first week we noted that he lived a life of purpose. That was one way. He, he recognized purpose in his life. He realized that there was something bigger than himself, and that was the purpose in which he came. He could face every obstacle, endure every heartache, and even face death because he lived his life with purpose and on purpose. We identified what that purpose was. Ultimately, we said his purpose was to glorify God, to reach the lost, and be an example. Well, that's really the purpose that we now have, don't we? We're to glorify God. We're to reach the lost. We're to be an example to others as well. Living his life with purpose and on purpose moved him, and it motivated him to live a life to the fullest, even though he was born to die. 
Then in our second week, we, we focused on his passion. We said his passion or his compassion was a glowing characteristic in the life of the Lord. That Jesus Christ exhibited love and compassion for all. We said that the, that, that particular passion moved him. It moved him from heaven to earth. It moved him from the manger to the cross. That passion not only moved him, but it motivated him. It moved him to show love for both his followers and his foes. We said also that that passion made him, a, it made him or it defined him. It certainly defined him as deity. And it identified him as love. Then last week we noted another reason why he could face life, although the cross loomed in his future. That he lived a life of promise. The fact is, is that Jesus was born to die. Still, he lived a life with a positive outlook. How could he do that? He lived with courage, knowing that he was not alone. He lived with the confidence that he would live again, and he lived with certainty that he would one day rule and reign. A life of promise. So we can sum it up and say that Jesus could live the way he did, even though the cross loomed in his future because he lived with purpose, passion, and promise. This morning, I want to raise another reason. He lived with power. He lived with power. Again, we have to remember, and we can never forget this, Although Jesus Christ was Emmanuel, God with us, although he was indeed creator of all the universe, the Bible tells us that literally he became all man as well. Philippians 2.7 says, But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. We read further in Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ was as much man as you are. He was as much flesh as you are. Ladies and gentlemen, today I want you to know that although Jesus Christ was God in flesh, he was equally all man. He felt every nail and he felt every every. every Slap on the face and every hit on the body. He felt every single feeling that you could possibly feel. He knew what temptation was and he knows what difficulties were. Jesus Christ was all man. But he lived a life of power. And in living that life of power, he was able to live victoriously, although the cross loomed in his future. So, what practical tools did he employ? That enabled him to be empowered the way he was. Enabled him to live victoriously the way he did. Well, I want to talk about just three of those simple things. And so we'll do that in just a moment. So let's pray and then we'll continue. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to gather here today. Lord, obviously our goal, our desire is to magnify you, to glorify you. Do no good to simply hear some words. We need to hear from you. Speak to our hearts as we are just around the corner from a very special day that we celebrate in our country. 
as we think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in Christmas, Father, not forget how great a price you paid for us, how significant that day really is, and how significant it ought to be in our lives as well. Lord, thank you as you speak to our hearts. And Lord, if there be any that are without Jesus Christ in this crowd today, that they would recognize their need of Jesus before they leave and accept and receive him as Savior and Lord. Lord, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So what tools did the Savior employ that empowered him, enabled him to live victoriously, although the cross loomed in his future? You're going to say, wow. I've heard this a million times. Well, get ready for one million and one. Prayer. Prayer. The story is told of a boy named Patrick who asked repeatedly for a watch. I mean, he drove his parents crazy. Every time he turned around, he asked for a watch, and he asked for his watch, and he asked for a watch, and he asked for a watch. And finally, his parents got so, so tired of hearing him ask for a watch. They finally said, forget it. Quit asking for the watch. Don't say anything more about it. Please, just stop asking. At dinner, he was asked to pray, and he said, okay, before I pray, Mom, I'd like to quote Mark 13, 37. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. (laughs) I don't know why I threw that in there, but I thought it was good. Prayer. How important is prayer in our life? You know, Jesus Christ, he turned to prayer in weariness. Even the Lord Jesus prayed. We caught him praying often in Matthew 14, 23. The Bible says, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Boy, the Lord Jesus Christ found himself all alone in that place. Often the Bible refers to that place as the secret place. The Lord Jesus Christ was probably more busy than any of us could even imagine. I mean, I don't care how busy your schedule is. I got to believe that Jesus Christ was more busy than you or me or anybody else that I even know. I can't imagine how busy some people are because of their, their, maybe their business or possibly their position. But I want you to know that nobody was probably any more busy than Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus Christ recognized the great need to get alone and apart with God in prayer. Again, the Bible refers to this as the secret place. Do you ever have a secret place? In Psalm 91, verse 1, the Bible says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. On December the 4th, In her her little devotional called Streams in the Desert, Mrs. Cowman made this statement. She says, strength is not in bluster and noise. Strength is in quietness. The lake must be calm if the heavens are to be reflected on its surface. The Lord loved the people, but how often we read of his going away from them for a brief season. He tried every little while to withdraw from the crowd. He was always stealing away at evening to the hills. Most of his ministry was carried on in the towns and cities by the seashore, but he loved the hills the best. And oft times when night fell, 
would plunge into their peaceful drinks. The one thing needed above all others today, she goes on to say, is that we shall go apart with our Lord and sit at his feet in the secret privacy of his blessed presence. Oh, for the lost art of meditation. Oh, for the culture of the secret place. Oh, for the tonic of waiting upon God. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. But he prefaces that by saying, be still and know that I am God. Jesus, like all men, like all women, needed time to disengage. So, you know, the believer needs more than a day off, more than an afternoon golfing, hiking, fishing, hunting, shopping, or reading a good book. All those things can be helpful, but none can replace that good old-fashioned time alone with God. Boy, the, the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ is found in our relationship. It's found in our walk with God. It's found in that secret place. It's found when we fall on our face before a holy, righteous God. We cry out and beg His mercy. Yes, indeed, if you're already a child of God, there's been a time and a place when you fell before Him, acknowledging your sin and your guilt before a perfect, holy Savior. But my friend, even as a believer, we've got to find our place at His feet. If we truly want the power that we're going to need to face life, to face its troubles and its trials, to face its ups and its downs, we're going to need more than just simply a day off. We're going to need time in the very presence of God himself. Prayer. Prayer. Prayer is one of the reasons why the Lord Jesus Christ could live a victorious life although the cross loomed in his future. But not only the, this element of prayer, but also the word of God. The word of God. Jesus turned to the word of God when he was tempted and troubled. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4, would you? Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungred. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now, can I ask you a, a simple question? Do you really believe that the devil had to ask whether he was indeed the Son of God? Of course he did. He knew that all along. By the way, the devil will tell you things that you know, too, to try to trip you up. They're already truth, but he'll ask you questions. If you're really saved, you ever have that one? He already knows. You say, well, nobody can know that but you and God. i got to believe the devil kind of gets on the ends on some of that. 
I think he can tell how your heart changes. I think he sees beyond the outside and the exterior. I don't think the devil will be surprised when you go to heaven if you've called on the name of the Lord. I don't think he'll be like, man, I thought that they were mine. I don't think that. I might be wrong. You can show me that in the Bible. Please show me that. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think he has to ask me that. But you know what? He's asked me that a few times in my life. He goes on to say, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Trying to get Jesus to prove who he was. Jesus knew who he was, didn't he? Isn't it funny how we'll take a challenge like this and we'll have to prove ourselves to people even though God already knows? So we fall into the trap of our pride directing us instead of the Spirit. Notice he goes on, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. On more than one occasion, the Lord Jesus Christ is tempted by Satan. And on more than one occasion, or every single time, he speaks up and says, it is written. And then he quotes it and applies it. See, Satan is relentless. He is relentless. And he continues to attack. He is persistent. And he seeks to even attack the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus simply says, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Boy, I tell you what, you notice that Jesus didn't dig out his concordance and look up a verse at, at, you know, uh, as the devil was tempting him. Boy, I, I got to get my old strongs out. I got to find me a verse to, to deal with old Satan's temptation here. Hold on, Satan, if you would. Uh, Jesus says, hold on, I got to dig into my, my iPhone and get on my Bible app and I got to find a scripture that fits this. <clears throat> he didn't do that, did he? It's interesting to note that those verses were right on his lips. You want to know why? Because they were already in his heart. Jesus, Jesus, they, they come off his tongue so smoothly. They, they were applied so correctly. They were involved in his life. He, he recognized the temptation. He was able to dig into the scriptures in the back of his mind that had been hidden in his heart. And he was able to use them against Satan, apply them appropriately. May I say today that it's too late when Satan comes attempting to find a verse. You better have some scripture hidden in your heart if you want power to overcome Satan in your life. This idea that somehow, well, we got it all at the touch of a button. All we need to do is open our iPhone. All we need to do is dig into our concordance on our phone. All we need to do is open a book and figure it out. My friend, we need to hide Scripture in our heart. The Bible tells us when a man's ways, the Bible says that Psalm chapter 119, verse 11, How with all shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. For thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. R.A. Torrey, he lived between 1856 and 1928. He was an evangelist, a pastor, educator. He was a writer. He was called by D.L. Moody to head up the Bible Institute in Chicago 
It's now called Moody Bible Institute, but back in those days, it was the, it was the Bible Institute in Chicago. He was, a, he was quoted as saying this. Now listen to what R.A. Torrey said. Right around the turn of the century, the 1900s, I should say, 18 to the 1900s. He said, you may talk about prayer, but if you neglect the one book that God has given you as the one instrument through which he imparts and exercises his power, you will not have it. You may read many books and go to many conventions, and you may have your all-night prayer meetings to pray for the power of the Holy Ghost, but unless you keep in constant and close association with the one book, the Bible, you'll not have power. And if you ever had power, you'll not maintain it except by the daily, earnest, intense study of that book. Ninety-nine Christians in every hundred are merely playing at Bible study. And therefore, 99 Christians in every hundred are mere weaklings. And they might be giants, both in their Christian life and in their service. That's a powerful, powerful statement, isn't it? Think about that. He says, you go ahead and you get on your knees and you pray all night, but you neglect God's word. You have no power. Somebody says, well, I don't believe that. All you need to do is look around in Christianity to see the Christianity today to see the evidence of it. We talk about National Day of Prayer. We talk about prayer meetings. We talk about this and that. But what's going on with the Word of God? Where's it at? We do a better job of changing it than we do living it. I guess it's a little more profitable to change it because then you can make more money. But living it doesn't seem to pay off too much sometimes. But it does. Because that's the only way we're going to have the power we need to live a victorious Christian life in spite of the roadblocks you and I will face. We're going to face them. We better be prepared for them. Even as the devil in the wilderness came tempting Jesus Christ and those verses rolled off his tongue because they were already hidden in his heart. Boy, how we need the word of God hidden in our heart. How many verses of scripture have you memorized this year? How many verses could you quote off the top of your head? I know it's the preacher's job to have the Bible memorized. I know it's the preacher's job to know the word of God. It's the preacher's job. We pay him to do that. You don't pay me to give you victory in your Christian life, though. You don't support me so that I can ensure that your children turn out for God. I can't do that. See, you have to protect yourself and your family. You have to hide God's word in your heart. You have to have an answer when the Satan comes calling. And so do I, personally. Say, so what's a good verse to memorize? I'll help you with that. But I can't memorize it for you. But if you want victory, you're going to have to turn to the sources that Jesus did. Prayer. The Word of God. If I want victory, i got to turn to the source that Jesus did. Prayer and the Word of God. I know it's an old theme, and I know we talk about it a lot, and I know you hear all the time in preaching and, and in Sunday school, pray and study the Word. Pray and study the Word. And I'm fearful that maybe those all go by the wayside too often. 
how important and valuable is the word of God when we're facing temptation and trouble? Well, the psalmist says in chapter 119, verse 28, my soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. In Psalm 119, verse 50, he says, this is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. That word will make you alive. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God. How could Jesus, who was born to die, face life the way he faced it, with a positive outlook, How could he face it victoriously, although the cross loomed in his future? By prayer, through the word of God. But finally, number three, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. Most often the forgotten God of Trinity. Often viewed as a second class citizen. But he is equal God. He is God. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4, please, verse 23. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. The Bible says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. What great power the Lord Jesus Christ had. I don't know about you, but boy, wouldn't you love to have been there when he healed the brokenhearted and set the captive free, made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see? Wouldn't you? I would have. I think to myself, wow, if only I could have seen that. Yeah, they saw it and didn't believe many of them. But I mean, where I stand today, boy, would I love to see that. You say, I'll tell you what, you could have tickets to go see any great performer you choose. You could go watch any sports team you like. You could even go to the Super Bowl and stay in a a suite up in the top and have all the food you want to eat. Or you could go see Jesus heal someone. I'm going to go see Jesus. I want to see him heal someone. I'd love to see him that way. But then again, I guess I do get to see miracles all the time in the lives of God's people. In Acts chapter 10, we find the key to his great power here. I mean, he's healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. What's the secret? Acts chapter 10, verse 38. The Bible tells us simply there how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. How could he face life victoriously? 
How could he have a positive outlook? How could he have a smile on his face? Although just in the near distant future, a cross loomed. The power of the Holy Spirit was there. His life was yielded to the Holy Spirit. Given to the Spirit of God. See, Jesus understood the necessity of the Holy Ghost so well that he even instructed his disciples to do nothing until they were empowered by him. Christ is prepared to leave now. He's lived and he's died. He's risen again. And now he's going to ascend back to the Father. But he made a promise to his disciples that he would send the Holy Ghost, another comforter. And he gives them instruction before he leaves. And he says to them, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. Tarry? Simply wait? After three and a half years of training, after three and a half years of following the Savior, we're to simply sit and wait? We're ready to go, Jesus. Give us the word. We'll take this city by storm. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye here in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. What does that mean? Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we're given some more insight, and he says, but ye shall receive power after you've finished Bible college. You shall receive power after you've been faithful to church for a year straight. You shall receive power after that you've committed and surrendered your life to the Lord to do whatever he asks you to do. No, he doesn't say any of those things. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, power. Interestingly enough, Jesus Christ, although he was God, functioned in the power of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that amazing? It's kind of hard for me to do these illustrations with a mic in my hand, but turn this on, would you, for just a moment, please? I know it's a little bit more difficult. I'm going to set this aside for a moment. I hope we don't mess it all up. And I have here a glove in my hand, and this particular glove, you'll see it, it's one of those, like, surgical gloves, or the kind you use to clean bathrooms. Either way, right? <laughs> I just hope they don't use the same glove. But anyway, so I have this glove. And honestly, you can see this glove. It, it's very lifeless, of course. But can I tell you that <clears throat> this glove can do nothing by itself? You, you know what it takes? It takes a hand. Once that hand goes in there, all of a sudden that thing can do all kind of stuff. You see that? See how interesting that is? But here's the point. Let me ask you something. I'm turning the Bible now. Is it the glove turning the Bible or is it this hand? 
I'm adjusting the mic. Or it's the, is it the glove adjusting the mic or is it the hand in the glove? Can I tell you that you and I are simply believers today? We are nothing more than gloves. And we can do nothing without him. <clears throat> Until we yield ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are powerless and unable to accomplish anything for the Lord. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit in our life. And once the filling comes, we're empowered to accomplish everything God intended. Like Jesus Christ, we too can live a life of power. And power is found in employing the tools that God has given to us. Prayer. The Word of God. person of the Holy Ghost. The setting was West Texas during the Depression. I shared this, I believe, on a Wednesday night. But Mr. Ira Yates was, like many other ranchers and many other farmers in that day, he had a, he had a lot of land and he had a lot of debt, too. Mr. Yates, again, being in the Depression, wasn't able to make enough on his ranching operation to pay for the principal and interest on his mortgage. So he was in danger of losing his ranch with little bit of just little money in his pocket for clothes and food. His family, like so many others, had to live on government subsidies. Day after day, as he grazed his sheep and over those rolling West Texas hills, he was extremely troubled. Troubled about how he would pay his bills. How am I going to meet the needs of my family? Then a seismographic crew from an oil company came into the area and told him there just might be oil on his land. <laughs> they asked permission to drill a wildcat well. And of course, he signed a lease contract. At 1,115 feet, they struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. As time went on, a number of other wells that were even many of them twice as large as the first were found. In fact, 30 years after the discovery, a government test on one of the wells showed that it still had the potential flow of 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And you know what? Mr. Yates owned it all. He owned it all. See, the day that he purchased the land, he had received the oil and mineral rights. He had been living on relief, no doubt about it, but he was a millionaire living in poverty. The problem? He didn't know the oil was even, even there, though he owned it. He never knew. You know what? I believe it's fair to say that you and I are a lot like Mr. Yates at some times. We are heirs of a vast treasure. We live with so many opportunities to succeed in the Christian life. And yet many times we're ignorant to the tools or the sources. 
Oh, we've heard the messages, and we know we've heard prayer, and we've heard the Word of God, and, and we've even heard about the Holy Ghost, but unfortunately it seems that we're failing to apply those principles and truths. The fact is Mr. Yates was poor. He was in poverty until he recognized the fact that there was oil deep down in. But even though, if he had known, even known that there was oil in his property, that would not have solved his problem. It wouldn't be enough that he just knew there were thousands and thousands and thousands of barrels of oil underneath the soil. It wouldn't be enough that someone came to him that was learned and schooled and said, you could be a millionaire if you just get that oil up and out of the ground. It wouldn't be enough. It wasn't enough. So he took steps to, well, my, uh, to, to, to put the wells in place and have that oil pumped out of that ground. May I say there are so many wonderful wells, spiritual wells that God has in your life that you, have avail- that you are available to, but may I say it doesn't do enough. It doesn't do you any good knowing they're there. It doesn't do you any good knowing that if I would just pray, if I'd just get in my Bible and study, if I'd just seek the face of God and allow the Holy Spirit to control me and move me and fill me, I could have victory over sin and victory in my life, and I could overcome difficulties, trials, and tribulations. It's not enough. You've got to be willing to apply it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with prayer? What are you going to do with that? I need to do more. That's good that you know that, but that'll do you no good. Knowing that's not going to fix your problem. So what are you going to do? What plan will you put in place? I know I need the Word of God in my life, preacher, more than I do now. I don't even study it. If I read it, it's not even that often key to victory in your Christian life. I don't know, preacher, why I'm struggling so much. I don't get it. I'm trying so hard in the Christian life, and nothing seems to work out for me. I can tell you one thing. If you're not praying like you ought to, and you're not studying the Word of God like you should, you don't have the power to overcome sin in your life or get the victory that God intended for you. Because if you're not in the Word of God and you're not in in prayer, then I can tell you this, pretty much with biblical authority, the Spirit of God's not controlling your life. Three strikes, you're out. See, we all have the answers today. There's not one person probably in this room that doesn't know that prayer, the Bible, the Word of God, and the filling of the Holy Ghost is absolutely necessary if we want victory, if we want to overcome the difficulties in our life, if we want a positive, productive outlook in life. All of us know that. Are we going to leave those untapped resources in the ground? Are you going to start mining them, so to speak? You going to go after them? You going to put a plan in place? That avails you to power like Jesus had? And the victory that he had in his life? Or will you choose to just go on like normal and live defeated Christian lives? I've got to ask that question of myself. 
oftentimes it's comfortable as pastor community baptist temple i come here every week and it seems for some reason people gather do i really need to pray you're going to be there anyways i need to study my bible they see a need to be in God's house. There you are. Do I need the filling of the Holy Ghost? <laughs> I guess this week I don't really need it. I mean, I'm busy. It's Christmas, and there's a lot going on. I may not say that, but I can live like that. But you know what? So can you. I want to encourage you to make up your mind that I'm going to live my life with power. I'm going to get on my knees or in my sofa chair or wherever I meet with God in that secret place. And I'm going to spend time with God. Just listening. And I'm going to get in the Bible and I'm going to start digging into words and trying to understand what I'm reading. And I'm going to try to figure it out so I can apply it when the devil comes to call. And I'm going to memorize those scriptures. When he starts tempting me, I'm going to quote him to him just like Jesus did and say, get thee behind me, Satan. And I want the filling of the Spirit of God. I don't want to be a useless tool in God's hands. I want the Holy Spirit to fill me so that he can use me. Do you know Christ is your Savior today? If you don't, you can. I want you to know, he said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. I don't care who you believe yourself to be or how wicked or sinful you consider yourself. I don't care what anybody else thinks about you. I know what he thinks about you. His thoughts are pleasant toward you. He loves you. He wants to save you from your sin. And from yourself and give you a new lease on life. May God help us tonight, this morning. Believer, won't you settle some things? Won't you live with power? And if you're lost today, won't you choose the Savior? Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. We ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts. Even in this time of invitation, may you use something that was said prick our hearts, to bring conviction to our minds and souls. May we recognize our need today and make a decision to change it if necessary. May we not continue to travel down the same road of failure or apathy. May we make up our minds to live victoriously and with power. And if we're lost without Jesus, have never received and accepted Christ, Someone has never knows and has never received and accepted. May they settle that today. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's